0: friends, this is Ashley Latecki Ellenboss with Sky House Herb School and Apothecary. And today we will be continuing our conversation on planning your medicinal herb garden. And we'll be talking about where to buy seeds and plants. Uh, we'll also talk about sort of my favorite top six herbs to grow. And I have certainly more than that, but I wanted to spend some time talking about growing each of these plants. So that's what we're gonna cover today. Now, if you're just tuning in, I did record a part one to this talk that included planning and designing your garden, looking at sun and soil and water, also considering the design and format. Uh, are you going to do pots, raised bed? Or are you going to directly sow into the ground? So, um, you know, if you're if you are haven't planned those things yet, I would recommend going back and listening to part one. So essentially, we're going to pick up where you have created the vision for your garden. So you know exactly where it's going to be, you know, the amount of sunlight you're going to get, you know, the amount of water it needs or has, you know, that there's existing water and it's sort of more of a a damp soil. And uh, you've decided, um, yeah, what your potting medium or mixture is going to be. And, you know, I really think most medicinal herbs do quite well. Um, They don't love super composty soil. So I would do just a regular, potting soil with maybe a little bit of perlite and um, a little bit of compost, but keep it majority potting soil so that you make sure that you get good drainage and that you also put stones or sand. Rocks usually work better um, at the bottom of your pot to ensure that the water can go out. So you want to Think about all of those things, and um, you also need to know what zone you're in, what your growing zone is. I know where I lived in Maryland, um, where I had gardens for many, many years. It was a uh, zone seven, seven uh, A to be exact. Um, and that seven A zone kind of stretches across. It kind of makes like a little bit of like a like a U shape across the United States. So all of the, you know, a lot of what I learned is going to be a particularly applicable for those living in Maryland, Virginia, um, Northern North Carolina, Tennessee, Kansas, and stretching across Northern Texas, um, and then sweeping actually up the West Coast, um, not on the, on the West side of California, but more on the Eastern side of California. Um, that's considered to be zone seven as well. Uh, However, a lot of the plants I'm talking about today are going to do really well for anything in between zones, you know, three and 11. So, So don't be discouraged if you're not in a zone 7A, you can still grow a lot of these medicinal plants. So let's talk about seeds and plants and where you're going to find them. I think it's really important when you are doing your research to try to find a seed supplier or someone who's a grower who uses non-genetically modified or non-GMO seeds. And so basically what this does is it prevents um, herbs, um, it prevents Companies from basically splicing and taking, you know, preferred genes from this this plant and then this plant and then sort of creating a subspecies or a sub variety. Now, I know for a lot of gardeners out there and those of you that want to grow more ornamental type of gardens, that it may not matter to you as much. But for medicinal herbs, it really does matter. You really want to get herbs that are as close to the original source. And one of the reasons for that is because all of the research and the traditional knowledge really comes from these ancient seed sources that have not been genetically altered. So, you know, do some research, try to find non-genetically altered organic seeds, And you always wanna look at the Latin name. And the reason for that is there are a lot of varieties now and it'll say like, for example, you'll see um, Achillea millifolium, which is yarrow, but you'll see all these different varieties. And there's these beautiful varieties that are like hot pink with yellow on the inside, but those are not the medicinal ones. You know, the traditional medicinal Variety is just the plain white Achillea millifolium. and again, they're all Achillea millifoliums. They're all the same. Um, they're just different varieties. So try to make sure when you're finding, when you're looking at them, that you're getting the original variety. And again, most of your uh, sites that really sell only non-genetically modified and heirloom seeds are going to have those those medicinal plants um, in their original form. So the two companies that I really like to use, I I honestly buy pretty much all of my seeds and fresh plants from Strictly Medicinals. And Strictly Medicinal Seeds, they're based out of Oregon. And I met the owners, Rico Check and his wife, um, at the, what was it? It was an herb conference, Medicines from the Earth Conference in Asheville, North Carolina, many, many years ago. And they were lovely. And I just, you know, they, Rico's written some great books on how to make herbal medicines. I mean, they live and breathe seeds and medicinal. Medicinal plants, And you can really feel that in their work and on their website. So um, you can buy, again, you can buy seeds from them and you can also buy fresh live plants. And this has been really helpful for me. You know, I'm a mother of two growing seeds. Take, takes a lot of time and effort, a lot of careful watching and you know I've, I've had success growing some seeds and others i just haven't and so i have bought the live plants and usually what they do is they'll cut down you know the the stem down to the base they'll wrap it up really well they'll overnight ship it or do a two-day shipping and so then you know you basically need to rehydrate the plant and then slowly um uh, put it into a larger pot for a few weeks and then you can put it into the ground. So you do wanna look into this in advance just to see how much time each plant needs outside of its shipping container into a a larger container with hopefully the soil you're gonna be potting it into if you're gonna be putting it into the ground. So you can just take your ground soil, put that in your pot, put it in there and then let it start to acclimate to that new soil in a larger container. It'll start to open up the roots and then you can start to um, yeah, then you can transplant it when it's ready into the soil. And I've had great luck with all of the plants I've ever ordered from them live. And um, they've done great, especially I ordered, let's see, uh, chamomile, blue vervain, um, arnica. Yeah, I mean, they have so many. You'll be really excited to see that. Uh, one thing I will say when you buy these live little plants in their little pots um, is that and this was something that my friend, the, the, amazing Trisha McCauley, who's no longer with us. Um, She was an herbalist and a uh, yoga teacher and astrologer and kind of everything really, really neat, neat woman and friend. But she taught me something when I worked with her at the Common Good uh, City Farm. And that was when you take the plant out of a pot, um, you basically just sort of want to roll it between your hands to loosen up the soil. You know, you don't want to like pinch it and you don't want to like tap it. You just sort of want to like roll it kind of like this you know, like do this with it. And then you'll start to see that the soil will fall out and the roots will all get very, very loose. And then what you want to do is you want to, if you're, you know, whether you're putting it into a pot or whether you're putting it into the soil, you want to dig a hole that's at least, you know, maybe three to four times the width of that potted plant. So you always want to, you know, you don't want to dig a hole just the size of that of that original pot, you wanna make a bigger hole. So all of that soil is gonna be loose and accessible to the plant. And then what you wanna do is you wanna build a little mound in the bottom of that uh, hole or of the pot. And then you take that freshly uh, sort of opened up, rooted plant, you put it in the hole and then you spread its roots over that little mound. So the roots are starting to go now out to the side rather than just getting squished flat down, you see, because like then it's a lot more work for them to try to get into that compacted soil. So you've loosened the soil up and you just drape them around that little mound. And so then they can start to kind of find their way out and then penetrate through the harder soil around it. And then you fill it in and lightly tap it. Um, Another thing that's really great to do when you're planting is to actually create a little bit of a dip. So that way the water goes in and it will hold more water and attract more water. So, you know, you want to, um, you know, just think about, uh, yeah, kind of making the, the plant itself, maybe a little bit lower than the soil around it. And you can even make a little bit of like a, um, a circle around that. So um, basically what you can do is um, you know, make like a little barrier. So if this is the plant, you're just making the soil, you're just building the soil up so that when the water goes in, it's not gonna flow out. It's actually gonna flow down toward the base of the plant and that will help it stay happy, especially when they're babies. When they're babies, they need a lot more watering and care. So it's really important that you make sure that they're getting not only enough water from you, but that they're holding enough water in as well. Um, so so yeah, so that, those are just some, a few tricks for um, repotting or putting things into the earth after they've been in pots. Um, strictly Medicinals, you can find them at strictlymedicinalseeds.com. And um, another source that you may want to consider is seedsavers.org. And this was started by a woman who had some heirloom seeds from her father back in 1975, I think from Bulgaria, some old tomato seeds. And she just saw like what a difference these heirloom seeds were in terms of their fruit production than some of the commercially available ones. So she started this big project and started gathering and saving seeds from other gardeners who had similar stories, who had heirloom seeds from, um, you know, somewhere in their family line, or who were given them, and so she started this big seed bank of heirloom seeds. So she actually has um, both. Actually, both strictly medicinal and seed savers also have vegetable seeds. So you can, um, you know, if you want to grow an herb garden along with a vegetable garden, these can be good places to buy those seeds. All right. So let's now talk about. Um, some of my favorite plants to grow and why. So I'm going to go through in a little bit of detail six plants and uh, how, how they grow best and what to do with them. Because I know for a lot of people that grow herb gardens, it's like, I have all this peppermint, what do I do with it? Or I have all this, you know, whatever. So I'm going to talk about my top herbs and what to do with it. So the first one is tulsi. Tulsi is—it's uh, a very sacred plant to India. It has so many medicinal properties. It's aromatic. It's a wonderful pollinator for our bees and butterflies. And um, I just love growing this plant. It's pretty easy to grow if you get the right variety. So you want to buy the oximum teniflorium or teniflorum um, variety and the specific or that's the, that's the, um, the species, but the specific variety is Kapoor. So I've grown um, of the Tenafloriums, I've grown uh, the, what was it? The Vana? No, no, that's Gratissimum. Um, I grew the Krishna and the Rama and they did okay. But then I went to, um, I don't know if any of you know, the hugging saint, Ama. She's incredible, look her up, the hugging saint. Um, I went to one of her gatherings in uh, DC, actually it was Crystal City, Virginia, but she has these, um, she travels around the world during non-COVID years and gives Darshan or hugs to people and people gather from all over and, you know, line up and receive these hugs from this Indian saint. Um, she's kind of considered like the mother saint. And um, and at her conferences, they have all sorts of different things that they sell, from textiles and clothing from India. And they actually had a bunch of live tulsi plants. And I was asking them, and they said, Oh yeah, in in this area, the Kapoor is the best variety to grow. It grows really really well, and it will self seed, so it'll come back the next year. And I was like, bingo. So that's what I ended up getting. I, I got three small plants and I planted them and you want to give them space because they will bush up and take over. Um, they grow really well in zones um, 10 to 12. They will be perennial. So they'll just be green and grow all the time. So if you live in a warmer Southern climate, you might be able to have it year round. But if you, if you live in um, cooler zones, it will just self-seed and then grow back in new plants the next year. It takes 60 to 70 days to grow to full maturity. It really does like full sun. So you want to plan that out when you are going to be planting it. It does well in pots as well as in the earth. It grows very vigorously in the warmer months. So make sure you give it lots of space so it can grow and be prepared to do a lot of harvesting. And if you really want, you know, the way that I like to run my gardens is it's like parts for me and parts for my you know environment. So you know when they go to flower, um, that sort of takes a lot of the energy away from and it can take some of the volatile oil content down from the leaves. However, it creates food for our pollinators. So I usually do kind of 50-50. I go through and I'll clip about 50% of the flowers, you know, like when it starts to go to flower, I'll clip those off. Um, and then I'll let the rest flower and go to seed for the birds and the bees and also self-seeding so that they will come back the next year. Um, But then you want to really harvest the ones that you've cut the tops off of, or even better, you can harvest it right before it goes into flower. And you'll start to see the little flowers starting to form at the very top of the plant. And when you start to see that, then that's when the volatile oil content and everything is at its peak. So you just want to clip it and don't be, you know, you can cut it down. It will grow back really nicely. And so as soon as you start to see it filling out, you can start harvesting it. I like to dry it in big bunches all around my house, (laughs) wherever I have space. And then those leaves can be used as a tea. The tea is an adaptogen, so it's really good for balancing um, stress levels. It's also a blood sugar balancer. It's a carminative, so it helps with digestion and gas. Um, It's also very warming. So if you tend to run kind of cold, it's going to be a very nice aromatic warming herb. And it's just delicious. It's a delicious herb to make a tea from. And um, yeah, and it's very uplifting. And then you can also cut the, you know, when I Owned Sky House Yoga Studio, I would always bring clippings from my garden and make big herbal vases. And so I'd have vases of medicinal flowering plants around the studio, and the aromatics were just lovely and just beautiful flowers. So, you know, you can also use these as a cutting garden for yourself to have fresh flowers around your home, which I think everyone should do, it's so uplifting. (laughs) Um, The second herb is elder. Uh, The Latin name here is Sambucus canadensis. And um, if you live in Europe, you're probably more familiar with the tree, which is native to Europe, which is Sambucus um, nigra. And uh, nigra is again; it's like more of like a tree, and the canadensis version is more like a shrub that grows here in North America. This plant is also a sacred protector, just like tulsi. And you know, a lot of um, Celtic and Druid people would always want to have an elder near and near to the garden where the other herbs were growing. And it was called um, elder, elder mare or elder mater, which is like the, the older mother. So it's sort of like the mother of the plants and Matthew Wood talks about it sort of being the conduit that pulls energy, like it pulls good prana and energy down into your garden. So if you can grow an elder, um, it's really a, it's a sort of a good thing to do energetically for your garden. And it's also a wonderful medicinal herb. So elders like uh, full sun to part shade, In my garden, I had them growing sort of against a few other smaller shrubs of similar size. And elder is like a, it's a fringe dweller. So it really likes to grow alongside um, like the edge where maybe a forest or, you know, a lot of dense Foliage uh, kind of turns into a field or a yard. So tr- try to plant them on the edge there where they're going to get full sun, but they also are going to have some partial shade. They don't like to be in the middle without any protection. So that, you know, at least for the canadensis, I think for the trees, they're happier in the full suns, you know, um, without as much protection. Uh, They do like wet soils. So if you can find an area in your yard where it's also a little bit more moist, they don't necessarily love to have their feet like wet. They're not like bog plants, but they do like it where it's a little bit more wet. So if there's a downward slope on your property, um, or if you build a downward slope so that the water can go to them, they'll be really, really happy there. Um, they thrive in zones three through 11. However, they are elder, they are evergreen in zones nine to 11. So if you live again in a Southern area, they'll stay evergreen all year round. Otherwise they'll be deciduous. They'll drop their leaves in the fall and then they'll come back in the spring. Um, they do like compost. So if you are going to plant it into the earth, which these do not do well in pots, uh, unless you have a huge, huge pot, but I would, put these ones into the earth, Um, but they like a little bit of compost. So put some like soggy compost into the soil uh, or into the hole first before you plant it. And again, big hole for all of those roots to spread out. Um, The medicinal attributes of elder are various. And so the two main medicinal parts that I use are the flowers and the berries. Now I know in some cultures they use the leaves and the bark I don't use that. There are some compounds in there that are a little dicey. So um, if you're a new, new to herbal medicine, I would recommend just sticking with using the flowers and using the fruits. The flowers are, they can be harvested and dried and they make a wonderful tea. They're diaphoretic, which means they open up the pores. They're really good for colds and chills and fevers. So if you have, you know, like Coronavirus <laughs> or COVID, right? Like it's a really, really good one to have on hand for cold and flu season, and it matches really well with peppermint. So peppermint and elder would do really well in a hot tea to help you sweat and and boost your immune system. Now the flowers are a little more tricky because you have to have a male plant and a female plant in order to have the flowers actually become pollinated and turn into berries. So in my property, I only had a female plant. Um, I think both the male and female they I think they both flower, but they have to have both in order to make berries. So I never had berries on mine. I just had flowers that I would harvest. So if you want the berries, you have to invest in both a male and female plant. And um, the berries are also very medicinal. They are high in vitamin C and flavonoids. Um, They're immune boosting and uh, they make a wonderful elderberry syrup, which you can find recipes on online and they're quite good. The third plant is chamomile and I prefer the German chamomile. It's just the one that I'm more comfortable with. I think it also has a little, it's a little easier to grow. This is the Matricaria recutita is the, is the species name, Matricaria recutita. Maybe I'll type all these up in the Um, comment section for you guys. Um, This one is a self-seeding plant. So unless you live in a warmer zone, and actually one year in my garden um, in the seven zone, we just didn't have a lot of cold weather. And so it stayed evergreen all winter long, and it came back like crazy in the spring. But most of the time, you know, if you have hard Hard winters, um, they'll just die off. But then, if you let the seeds self-seed, it'll come back, and the root systems can stay pretty um, intact. And they'll really spread, um, spread over time. They prefer full sun and cool. Uh, cool soil to start with. So you do want to start them in the ground early if you're going from seed. Um, Otherwise, if you buy small plants, put them in, you know, very early spring, and then by early summer, you'll start to get flowers. Now, I didn't get flowers for my plants until the second year. The first year, they were just these very little aromatic, feathery little leaves. Um, Then I was like, hey, anybody home? And (laughs) nobody was home. So I had to um, just wait. And then the second year, um, I had my daughter stomp on them because they say that that if you, you know, when they come up, if you give them a good stomp and rough them up a little bit, they'll come back. And they did. They came back whoosh, like gangbusters. And there was just tons of chamomile. And I just drank the very last of it from this past year um, in a tea. And so the flowers with the medicinal part. Not the leaves, so you harvest the flowers, and you just want to pick them off. You know, just pick up, use your nails, just pick them off, and then gather them in baskets. And you have to make sure that you keep them in a wide open space. I dry mine in a very flat, wide basket because they'll mold really quickly. So the worst thing that ever happened was I gathered all these flowers, and and I looked down, and I think I just I they hadn't dried enough, and um, they started to mold um, in in the jar where I had them stored. So you want to make sure they stay, they get really, really dry and that they're very spread out. The medicine is amazing. The flowers are anti-inflammatory, nervine sedative, they're a digestive aid, they're a a, a slight bitter, Um, they're safe for kids. So they are really good to throw into a bath for a crabby or whiny baby, or to make into a tea. If you're having issues sleeping or you're having tummy ache or for a baby with colic, it's a really, really safe herb. And it's so delightful. I just love picking chamomile. It's probably one of my favorite herbs to harvest because um, it's just, you know, the little flowers are so delightfully happy, and you just get so stoked <laughs> by um, by picking them. The fourth plant I would recommend that you grow in your herbal medicinal garden is marshmallow. This plant is uh, the Latin name is Althea officinalis, so it's one of the official plants from the traditional apothecaries of Europe. It grows grows well in zones three to seven as a hardy plant. It'll you know overwinter, um, and then in And then it will, um, uh, in hotter zones, it doesn't grow, it doesn't grow very well. So it actually needs cooler areas, um, cooler zones. It grows four to eight feet tall, which is something I didn't realize when I first planted it. Like it was like so, so much taller than me. So you need to have stakes to hold it up once it starts to get big or it'll fall over. Um, And when you're garden planting, this is good to know too, because you want to make sure you're planting your, uh, you want to plant them so that they're not going to shade out other plants that need full sun. So marshmallow would do really well, like in the middle of a big bed. So it's like tall in the middle. Um, and then you can have other things around, or it would grow really well in the corner of a bed, which is what I had. I had it growing sort of on the the back corner. And so it all sort of took over and was just this beautiful tower of little flowers and fuzzy leaves. And all parts of this plant are edible and medicinal. The flowers can be added to salads. They're full of nutrients. The leaves you can dry and they make a wonderful Demulsant and soothing tea. And then the roots are also very soothing, cooling, healing, anti-inflammatory. So it's a, you know, it's a plant that just has so many benefits, especially if you tend to run hot. <laughs> if you're a hot person or you have a lot of hot conditions, you definitely want to have this plant in your garden. And it really likes wet soil. It's a marshmallow. So it likes marshy soil. It likes its feet to stay wet. The fifth plant is echinacea. And I'm actually gonna couple echinacea and bee balm together because they are like, they really like each other and they grow well. They're both prairie land plants and um, herbalist Karen Sanders from the West Coast. I forget which tribe, is she Choctaw? I forget. Um, but she t- she did a wonderful class uh, as part of her herbal radio show where she talked about uh, plant families and not like Not Latin plant families, but which plants actually grow well together because of their indigenous growing conditions. And so she talked a lot about echinacea and bee balm as being prairie plants that grow together in nature, you know, on their own. And so I grew them together in my garden and they were so happy and guess who was even happier. All the pollinators, because it was like a heyday around these two plants. And it, you know, it's if, if you love pollinators, it brings you such joy to see them just like drunk and passed out on leaves and asleep underneath flowers. It's just, it's really amazing. So for Echinacea, um, there are a number of different varieties. The medicinal ones are purpurea, angustifolia, and palita. However, the Echinacea um, purpurea is the easiest to grow and it's kind of the more standard one. Um, So I would recommend starting with Echinacea purpurea and it's hardy in zones four through 12. It will come back. It also does well in pots. So if you're doing a potted garden, you should do some Echinacea in there. And after the second growing year, it will produce about half a pound of fresh roots. And that's pretty significant. So, you know, you do have to wait a little while, but if you are going to be, if you're looking to harvest the roots, which are the main active um, medicine-holding part of this plant, you will get a lot of yield. You can also use the flowers. Um, You know, it's, it's a more... Uh, I think it's like a a more recent use of using the flowers um, as the medicine, but I've used them in teas and they taste really nice. And you can still get that little bit of the zing from some of those active compounds. And echinacea root um, really is a wonderful immune stimulant. Um, It's a a lymphatic, so it helps to move lymph and just kind of cleanse the body, as well as activating macrophage activity and, and immune activity. So it's a really nice medicine to have on hand. And the flowers are beautiful cut in bases. <laughs> I mean, you just can't deny how beautiful these plants are. And then bee balm, the Latin name is Monarda fistulosa. Now I grew Monarda fistulosa, which is purple and Monarda didyma, which is red. And they both are pretty common and similar medicines. The Monarda, the purple one or the fistulosa is is the one that has a lot more medicinal use and a lot more medicinal history, but the Didyma will work as well. And um, they grows, it grows, you know, wherever Echinacea will grow, it will grow as well. It's a very, very tall plant. So be prepared that it's gonna be five feet tall and it's gonna have abundant purple, little like um, like uh, flowers that have like these little tiny um, flowerlets that stick out. They're really cute. They're like little, um, like little, trumpets that stick out and all the bees and all the little bugs just love them and you can dry dry the flowers and the um, stems and the leaves of bee balm and that will make a wonderful tea it's a really good plant for sort of cold uh, or from uh, like damp conditions like hot damp like candida works it works really well um, it works well for burns it works well for uh, bruises um, trapped heat it works really well for but It also has volatile oil so it is warming. It has thymol in it, which is similar to um, what we find in thyme and a lot of other aromatics. So it's also antiviral, antibacterial, antifungal, so um, it's a nice plant to have on hand to use for topical issues as well as internal issues. So um, that's a lot of ground that we covered and so I'm going to end there and then I think we're going to have a part three and I'll talk a little bit more about maybe other plants and um, you know anything else you guys are interested in learning about. So leave me some comments, let me know what you thought, let me know if you have anything to add and what you'd like to hear in the next talk. So thanks so much for joining and have a good day.